Hello and welcome back to the Young Entrepreneur's Journey podcast with your host Yasmina Ellens and today I am talking with the wonderful Karen Skidmore who is a badass awesome entrepreneur, marketing consultant and business mentor. She is also a mumpreneur you could say, I don't know if people like that term but I think it's cool and she helps people scale their businesses without burning out. So she's written an awesome book called True Profit Business, kind of talks about what is profit, not just monetary, but how can we get the ultimate profit out of our lives, sort of life optimization? How can we get the full profit and enjoyment out of our life whilst creating a successful and sustainable business that we're excited about? And so in this episode, you will learn about how to build a quality email list, how to create your ideal customer avatar. You're going to get a very amusing and unique, fun way of brainstorming your niche. You're going to understand how to avoid burnout. You're going to learn about how to get your first coaching client and speaking gig. And you're going to learn all about the fun and messy process of writing a book. And there is so much more. So without further ado, Karen Skidmore. I think the first question that I'd be very interested in asking you is what got you interested in the entrepreneurial journey in the first place? What kind of brought you to where you are now? Yeah, good question, actually, because it was 16 years ago now that mm. I started up on myself. And it was purely a means to an end on my professional career. I was, I'd had two children. Um, mm-hmm. So this is back when, oh, what are we now? We're 2019 now. So this would have been back in 2004. And I had a big corporate career. I was up in London most days, um, mm-hmm. two young kids. And it was, I remember this conversation with my boss at the time thinking that, oh, my daughter was going to start school in a year's time. And he was hoping that I could then start working full time again. Yeah. And um, my brain just went, can't cope with this. And it was a lot of corporate BS as well. I was, you know, for me, kids changed me a lot that I still wanted a professional career. Yeah. But in that corporate, very sort of patriarchal type sales environment, I had enough. So it was looking in the newspaper, looking for part-time jobs. And all I could find was library assistants. And (laughs) and I was like, God, this is horrendous. So I decided to go and do my own thing. And Mm -hmm. uh, actually what got me out of my corporate career was I trained to be a life coach. And this is back in the day where life coaching really wasn't known in the UK. We're talking about quite a long time ago now, almost two decades ago. Yeah. So that's that's what got me out of corporate life and deciding that I really wanted a flexible professional career that I could use my brain, I could get out and talk to adults while still be a mum at the school gates and uh, work flexibly. Yeah, and then be there for your kids and be around all the time. Because yeah. I can imagine the the whole commute to London every single day whilst being a working mum with two young children must be nah. an incredibly difficult time management task. Yeah, and I just wasn't ready. And, and it was also it was just the change of working environment. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to have my choices and freedom. And freedom, fun and adventure are three very strong core values for me. And and that's what my professional career wasn't giving me. So I was like, I'm out of there. Yeah. But now you've managed to create that for yourself, which I think is amazing. Yeah. So I'm wondering, back in the day when you're training to be a life coach, what was the process like then? And how did you go about that? What kinds of things did you learn in your training? And how would you say that it's changed now? Yeah, and I must, what's what's the average age of your listening group? Because this this is, I'm going to start to feel really ancient now, aren't I? Because I was 50 (laughs) this year. And we're talking about phrases like back in the day. So we did have websites. I'm telling you, we we had websites, but we weren't coding. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. It was all very, um, we were just starting to get into on, it wasn't even called online marketing. It was like, do you have a website? Yeah. But the training that I did to go work for myself was all purely professional. It, we, we had a couple of modules on how to start your business and how to do marketing, but it was very basic. I mean, I literally had to learn on the job. And yeah. back in 2004, yes, there was a lot more focus of face-to-face networking, which is where I think we're actually coming back into again thank definitely where it was actually I had a choice of yes I put a website up but of course there was no one really there to find it Mm -hmm. you know there was a lot more focus on search engine optimization back there even for the small micro business owners but most of the marketing was really you know getting down and meeting people did a lot of speaking I was one of the first coaches in the UK to start email marketing really seriously Really? So about, two, about 2005, because back then the Brits were probably a good five years behind the Americans. So I started tuning into a lot of what the Americans were doing. 
Yeah. And email marketing was starting to really um, start to take off. So back in these days, I could just put a sign up for a free report to my website, go about mm. speaking, and I would literally have tens and dozens of people sign up to a free report and to sign up to my email newsletter every day. No way. Okay. Yeah. People wanted emails back then. Yeah. <laughs> it was like really exciting to go on an email list. Yeah. So it was, it was, it's really interesting going back now and thinking how exponential growth has been in the digital marketing. It's, it's, yeah. it's incredible. Definitely. I think it'd be really, because email marketing is huge nowadays as mm. well among entrepreneurs, especially because when you think about social media platforms, yeah. you're not in control. You don't mm -hmm. own it. You know, if you're big on Instagram or Twitter, if, if that shuts down the next day, you're screwed, right? But with an yeah. email list, you own it and mm. it's your followers and you can kind of tailor your content and market it however you want. Yeah, it's been the backbone to my business for 16 years. I, yeah. you know, I, I, I swear by my list. And I've never been a massive, I don't, quite a few of my business buddies and colleagues have lists of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people on, on their list. Whereas my list has always been quite small, but it's been quality. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and it's how I have got my business over the last 16 years. Yes, social media is important, but I think that's a mistake a lot of people are making is they are making a mm -hmm. marketing strategy out of Instagram and it doesn't, it's difficult to convert. And as you say, you get shut down or you suddenly the algorithm changes and yeah. then you can't get your post being seen. You're scuppered. Yeah. So building a list is now just as important as it was back when I first started doing it in 2005. Definitely. And um, I'm wondering, how do you go about getting the kind of quality that you do? And also, what is what would you say is the best way to grow your email list when you're starting out and to getting more people to sign up to that? Yeah, so uh, yeah, of course, there are, my goodness me, 101 ways of going to put stuff lead gen online. My immediate action answer to that question is get out there and speak and meet people and offer it to mm -hmm. people face to face. Okay. Because, you know, on one hand, yeah, numbers is good. But the bigger the list that gr you grow, the less likely people are to open it. And then when your quality of a list goes down, your emails don't go down. So this mm -hmm. is where you'll find people with lists of a thousand people or more and their deliverable, their, um, their email deliverable rates are diabolical, which is why people are going, oh, email marketing is dead. If you can't, if your open rates are less than 20%, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, my, my open rates are still about 35, 35%. So my advice to people is that when you're starting out to build a list, don't get sucked into all the funnel making. Mm -hmm. Start with real human people. And it might be that you do it virtually. It might be that you do it via LinkedIn or Facebook or DMs on Instagram. But you mm -hmm. do it on a one-on-one -on -one to begin with, which sounds really small. But when you get quality people who actually want to receive your email marketing and want to be getting your content and value as well as being sold to, when you've got mm -hmm. that strong foundation, you can then scale up. Yeah. So you go straight for the funnel making and do all the, oh, I'm going to do a Facebook ad campaign and suddenly spend, you know, three or four or five weeks designing some digital funnel off the back of your Instagram promotions. Yeah. You know, you might end up marketing the wrong thing and it could be really expensive and demoralizing as well. So yeah. start with one-on-one -on -one people and then grow from there. Mm, exactly. Because with one-on-one -on -one people, you can have your ideas and your business verified as well. You can see yeah. if that's something they actually want and then you can tailor with through these conversations your business or your offering exactly to what they want to need. So in terms of, you know, face-to-face -face or LinkedIn, DMs, whatever, approaching people to kind of try and build your email list, what would you say is the best way to go around that? Oh, what's the best way? Uh, you know, I find those questions interesting because it really mm. it, it is a bit like a piece of string question. For sure. You know, it really does depend. It depends on your audience. It depends on your marketplace. depends on who you are as a person. I think you've got to, first of all, really do a lot of work around who is your ideal customer. Who, who is it that you want to engage with, not to sell yeah. with? Who do you want to serve? Um, because if you don't do that fundamental marketing 101 work you end up this just following tactics it's really easy to you know i mean you can go onto google what's the you know the 10 best ways of getting people to sign up for your list on linkedin and you'll get a whole load of videos and gurus vlogging you some kind of tactics 
the problems with chasing those things is that they'll work for some time. And then because everybody else does it, and I always joke about how us marketers ruin everything for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as the marketers get wind of it and start selling it, it doesn't work anymore because the algorithms catch up on it and it just doesn't work. So actually, it's going back to basic marketing and understanding who are you, you know, what, it, what, what do you stand for? Who are you serving? Mm-hmm. And what is, what is the problem and the solution that you're looking to solve for them? Um, okay. And when you've got that, the clues will be there. And, and actually, it's like just going back to, you know, what message do they want to hear from you? Yeah. Um, so it is about quality. It's not just, you know, just chucking a whole load of vanilla noise out there because, you know, we're now in this digital marketplace where it is so friggin' noisy. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I would start on, you know, I know it sounds really dull and boring advice, but client avatar work and understanding who your audience is. Yeah, it's so true because if you don't understand who you're selling to, then you don't know how to create your message or target your message or you don't know how to communicate to your audience. And so I think another thing when creating an ideal customer avatar is go as specific as possible because then once you know exactly who you're talking to, those people will come straight to you because they'll resonate with exactly what you're saying. And then those who don't resonate, they'll they'll self-select out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. And it's not being afraid to decide who you're going to focus on and change your mind after five or six weeks. Because the beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur is that you need to be agile. And if you don't get a response within four weeks of being really focused on trying to reach out to a really specific niche, drop it, move on, pivot, change. Yeah. You know, I think this is why I see a lot of people avoid choosing a niche or niche, as the American bodies might say. Because they worry about, oh, I don't want my business to be like that. All it is, is is getting you from off from one step to two step. Yeah. And you just got to get in front of really specific people. If it doesn't work, change it, adapt it. You will find yeah. and you'll get become be able to more generalist or if that's what you want to go as you mm-hmm. grow. Yeah. And do you have any sort of recommendations or advice, especially for someone who is young who thinks, okay, I want to, I want to be an entrepreneur but they're not exactly sure what they want to niche down on. Do you have any advice for them in going about discovering their niche or honing down in what kind of problem they want to solve? Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of brainstorming, maybe over a bottle of wine or, you know, get some studies <laughs> out. I mean, it's not, you know, not, not that I'm advocating drinking with, um, with business, but it's actually, the, the, what I mean is that is loosening yourself up. We can take it really seriously. Yeah. Oh my God, I've got to come up with an idea. Okay, who am I? It's like we can be really earnest. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I can and I can see this. I mean, my kids are 17 and 19 and, and I'm just starting to see it in my in my eldest daughter. That entrepreneurial spark is starting to yay well done you it's finally starting to come through yeah and I can see you know a lot of young people get really earnest and you know that has to make it work if I don't do this it's never going to happen and there's a real feel of, of wanting to get it right really really quickly yeah um, now I'm I'm sitting on the other end of the generation here at 50 and going you know my goodness me you've got a whole life ahead of you you've got so many ideas and so many marketplaces and and it's uh you know, you don't need to boom and bust it. Yeah. So actually, you know, that whole principle of like opening a bottle of wine and doing it socially is actually it's the whole point of it is doing it in a relaxed state and yeah. playing with it and be playful. So yes, there's there's all sorts of, I suppose it depends on which way you, how you want to brainstorm, whether you want to do it, post it note on flip chart style. You want to invite a load, you know, two or three friends out for a pub one night and say, right, come on, this is all about me, me, me. Tell mm-hmm. me who I am, what you what you see as me asking for letters of reference anybody that you've worked whether even if it's like working in a coffee shop or anything you know ask who you've been working for what what do you see in me Mm -hmm. how do I show up every day what can you see that I can't because I'm in my body yeah and it's kind of like just trying things out it's like going into an I suppose it's like going into an ice cream bar if you like ice cream and going which flavor do you want well yeah taste a few so be playful and explore be curious and don't be afraid of getting something wrong because I don't believe you can in the early stages yeah so yeah so sort of play around with it but then you have to decide because if you, Mm. you stay in that mode for too long it's really easy to go, oh, I'm still in the research side. You know, I'm still taking my friends out for drinks. And then you carry on. And then at some point, you look back and go, God, I've spent the last 12 months just, you know, researching. Yeah. There's got to be a point that you have to make a decision and do something. And there's never going to be a right one. If you want to just blindfold yourself and do pin the tail on the donkey, um, <laughs> you know, literally go, right, those are my three ideas. I'm just going to just point to one. And yeah. That's the one I'm going to go for. 
because you will not know it will work until you get out there and start taking action. Definitely. So have fun with it, playfully, curiosity, ask friends, colleagues, people that you work with. Yeah. And then, you know, narrow it down to two or three things and go, I'll have that one. For Let's sure. Do it. And I think there's real value in the whole, I, I love your advice on being playful with it because so many people, when they get so serious about something, they become stiff and your brain yeah. stops to work and the ideas don't flow anymore. Yeah. But when you're in that sort of loose liberal environment, you're chatting with people, you're bouncing ideas off each other, that's always where the best ideas come out, right? And then obviously yeah. you have to commit to something, otherwise you're never going to make anything happen. I was so serious in my 20s. You know, if I could go back and give myself advice, I'd say, loosen up, Karen. <laughs> you're just taking it yeah. so bloody seriously. <laughs> you know, I was, I had I had so much to prove. And I get that when you're in your 20s, you do have so much to prove. You're, yeah. you're, more, you're becoming an adult, mm -hmm. even though technically, you know, you're an adult from 18. But I don't think I became an adult until I was 27, 28, 29. Yeah. And so you, you feel like you've got so so much to prove and you know if I can give some words of wisdom as somebody who's gone through you know three decades of working now it's like do you know what just have a bit more fun with it mm -hmm. and just lighten up because that's where the magic happens yeah um, definitely. you know you, you can still care passionately about what you do but don't take yourself so seriously that's some excellent advice and I'm also wondering so what exactly is the business that you do right now how would you describe your business what is the problem that you're solving and then how did you go about scaling that business to where it is now? Yeah. So what I do now is I, I'm a business coach and I run a business growth community called Momentum. I mm -hmm. teach the principles of what I call now true profit business, which is about building a purposeful, playful and profitable business. So I see okay. there's three energies, there's money, there's impact, and there's creativity. And we need all three to be able to fulfill our potential to make sure that we're not yeah. going to burn out in the process. So I started off as a life coach and then got into marketing and taught a hell of a lot of social media, you know, going back 10 years ago, eight years ago when Facebook started going through. Yeah. I've run membership sites, sold a ton of different online products and programs. And I've yeah. done all the sort of different types of business models. And my business model now, and it has been for like the last two or three years, is that I now work with a smaller group of people. So I do like one to, one to group, one to many programs where I work with people quite intensely and quite intimately, if you see what I mean, really work in depth on their 90-day planning and their business plans yeah. through a group program. So at the moment, my sweet spot is working virtually, do a lot of Zoom group calls, uh, yeah. do a lot of things like this, talking, doing podcasts, getting out there and doing speaking. Yeah. And yeah, I absolutely love it. So I do spend a lot of my time writing with my second book, True Profit Business, that came out last month. Okay. It's a real mix of coaching, consulting. I have a small team that support me and work with my clients as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun and it's evolved so much. My business model has changed, you know, in so many different forms over the last 15, 16 yeah. years. So out of all of that, through all of that time, all of the online products, the membership sites, the, the coaching, the speaking, everything that you've tried, because I'm sure you had a lot of, you know, successes, a lot of failures along the way. What are mainly the, the key lessons that you learned out of that? What do you think, especially for someone starting out? is the best way to go around that because there's, there's a lot of noise out there yeah. and it can be hard for someone to know what to choose. So what would your best advice be in, in starting out and creating something like that and then also making it profitable? Yeah. So this is this is really where I started to see about five, six years ago in the marketplace, particularly as my, my profession in the coaching industry. It really started to get quite icky and a lot of smoke mm. and mirrors and I saw the, you know, I was teaching a lot of digital marketing funnels and it all just got a little bit, just a bit sleazy about five years ago. And this is exactly where I feel like you're saying it's, it's very easy to get sucked in to what mm -hmm. is going to be the quickest way to make money. And so it, it made me really take a step back on how I saw business growth happening, which is where I started talking about true profit business, about not needing more profit. Mm -hmm but needing true profit. So it's profit that's right for you, the, the income goals that you want to make. And mm -hmm. they're not necessarily six-figure, seven-figure dreams because I've worked with people over the years that have seven-figure businesses, six-figure businesses, and yet they are working mm. six days a week. They're burnt out. The profit from the business and the income that they get is minimal because they're spending so much money on contractors and people to deliver the work. Yeah. So it's making decisions about what you want income-wise 
making decisions about how you're going to be in flow and how you're going to get your creative energy from and the Mm -hmm. impact and the difference that you want to make. So it's the way that we do business has to change. We're going into a new decade next year and the energy of business has to move away from the doingness into the beingness without getting all soft and woo-woo about it. That connection back to profit about what does money mean? Because we do not need more money in this world anymore. We do not need more things to buy. We do not need more results. We are more than Mm. enough. But there is a huge difference in impact that we can all make with our businesses. And when we get connected to that, and we get connected with our purpose, and our why behind we're doing our business, that to me Mm. is when the magic starts to happen, because that's when business growth it becomes simpler. There's no way of making this easy. You know, starting and growing your own business is, I'm going to say, flipping hard work. So I don't usually get the expletives. Mm-hmm. There are some days and some weeks and some months where it just stinks. And yeah. you can't get away from that. But there will be other days that will just flow for you. Now, to yeah. be able to get through that, if you've got a driving purpose and a real reason about behind why you're wanting to do what you want to do and the impact, the difference mm-hmm. that you want to make to the clients that you serve, the communities that you work in, the environment, the cultures, whatever it is that your business is doing, that's what will see you through the long run and will go from doing something a little bit like freelancing for, you know, for two or three months into a business that will serve you. For sure. So profit in the sense of not just monetary profit, but sort of like life maximization profit. How can I get the most that I can out of life whilst creating the most impact that I can? Yeah. Exactly. So it stops you from chasing the dollar, you know, because there's a difference between making um, 50 grand profit and 50 grand turnover. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to turn this into an accountancy, you know, bookkeeping lesson. But when you start to recognize how many hours you're putting into the business, sometimes a smaller business can serve you financially better because you're keeping it simpler. And it might mean that you're only working, you know, it could be that you want to be doing your business for two thirds a year and one third is spent traveling. So it's creating a business that's going to serve your lifestyle as well. Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons why, as I said at the beginning, I started a business to do a term time business. Yeah. And I did everything around the kids' um, school holidays and school terms. So my business was only ever going to be a part-time lifestyle business for when they were little. Now that's changed and evolved over the time, but it might be that business in the summer and then have a business that you can take off from November to February and go on the ski. How do you create that so the money can come in that you can save it away and then not work for two or three months? Or do you need to build a team in to allow you to disappear off for you know one week every month to go and do community-based work Um, so so yeah so it's really important to get behind what I call the true profit you know what Mm. is really important to you as an individual that takes a bit personal development a bit of work and and life experience you know you're not going to get that at 21 Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of just let yeah. that happen over time just try lots of things and see what sticks yeah yeah don't be afraid mm. to you know and i think it's especially with our economy at the moment and the other thing i must say is like it, i see a lot of people like this is what i had when i first started up and particularly if i go back to my 20s and 30s i'd want to feel i was having mm. an innovative idea i wanted to be the first and actually yeah. you never want to be the first you always want to be the third or fourth onto the marketplace you always want to be leading from the people at the front who are making all the mistakes yeah and we're at a point now Smart. where actually it's there's no point trying to be the most the first one out there with an idea let other people do that <laughs> And then you learn from what works from yeah. them. And yeah, then, yeah, you learn from what works from them. Like yes, yeah. Sort of along that lane, I mean, you've kind of already touched on it, but I know that you're a big advocate on maintaining your mental health, not burning out whilst running a business. Yeah. Do you have any sort of top advice in avoiding burnout and keeping that kind of balance? Yeah, I... People need to really track their emotional health and well-being. Now, I now okay. and again, I think this is we've, we've started to see this in the last couple of years. You know, talking about depression, anxiety, stress is now becoming much more the norm than it was even five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, suicide rates. We've all been touched by somebody with either severe depression, anxiety, or ourselves. You know, this is part yeah. of living in modern world. So talking about it and being really open about it, I think we're beginning to see this happening. We need to do it more. But tracking your emotional health and well-being is really important. So 
some things that I mean, this is for the women out there because obviously this is mm-hmm. this is very specific for females. But tracking your menstrual cycle, for example, is really yeah. important. You know, and I've always mm-hmm. always tracked my periods. Even you know, I think even back when I was about sixteen, seventeen, I've always tracked yeah. my periods. But tracking your emotional health and well being through your menstrual cycle because. For women, it can be almost like seen as a bad thing. Oh, she's on a period, uh, you know. Yeah. That's, but actually, it's <laughs> yeah. a really powerful thing when you start owning and tracking where your power comes through each month. You actually, us women, we have an immense power of harnessing yeah. when we're feeling most creative. So when we ovulate, when we're feeling really creative, when we're feeling, you know, whether sort of the life and soul of the party is, we can anticipate that and harness that in our business. So, and guys can do this as well. So just because you haven't got menstrual cycles, guys, you will still, <laughs> men do tend to be a little bit more straight lined. Women, we, yeah. we are all over the place and that's great <laughs> if we're tracking it, but guys will find they will be affected as well. So we get, you know, some people get affected by the moon cycles. We get affected by weather patterns when high pressures come in by seasons and actually tracking how you are feeling not um, in a judgy way or going, oh, God, I feel really depressed. and Actually, just yeah. tracking really on the surface level, because that will allow you to see that you will go in ebbs and flows. Yeah. And it will allow you to stop being so hard on yourself when you're feeling, God, I need to push through on this idea. And again, mm-hmm. I speak this from a woman's point of view. If you're on your period, it's pouring rain outside. It's in the middle of December and you're trying to push through on a deadline and you wonder why it's not working. It's like, yeah. back off, you know. So this is what mm-hmm. I mean about actually being really acutely aware of how we are managing ourselves and our vitality and our health and well-being. It will have a direct yeah. impact on our productivity and our business. So when we can For track sure. that, it will release you from pushing hard when you really shouldn't. Yeah. And actually then making the most of when we're feeling on top of it. So if you suddenly find yourself on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, full of creative, it's like, don't go, oh, I'm not going to work at the weekends because I told myself I'm going to do this Monday to Friday it feels good harness it do it yeah and get stuck into that project on a sunday morning if it feels good but definitely it. yeah yeah it also helps you get into your flow especially when you track it in a way that you're saying what you're doing when you're feeling a certain emotion yeah then over the time you can see the pattern and you can see okay this when i'm engaging in these activities or these things are happening around me i feel at my Mm. best and when i'm engaging in these kinds of activities I feel worse. And then you can kind of hone mm. in on the things that make you feel better as yeah. well. I had a client literally the other day and she, she suddenly realized that she has migraines and she was trying to find, we were talking about the moon cycles, funnily enough, and she realized yeah. that every new moon, it wasn't full moon for her, it was new moon, she'd have a 48-hour mi- migraine. Wow. So she's now recognized that that's a pattern for her at the moment where she's at. Now, she doesn't need to try and fix it. But now, because mm-hmm. she's putting the moon cycles into her work diary, she can anticipate that it may happen. So you yeah. don't want to go, oh, I'm going to have a migraine, and then wish it upon yourself, and it becomes worse. Sure. But when you can anticipate going, do you know, I'm likely to have a migraine because it's new moon. Let's not do a major client pitch that day. <laughs> you suddenly go, ah, and then if you feel fine, great. But it means that you can start to understand yourself a bit better and, and decide how to batch what kind of work you need to do in your business. Definitely. Yeah, I had no idea that the moon had such an effect on, on human beings and human human functionality. That's really interesting. Oh, massive. It's how the farmers used to plant their fields back in the days before really? we had the- before we had Google, you know, if you think okay. about how, well, how did the pyramids get built? You know, I mean, to think of the effect that um, the planets have around us. And a lot of this ancient wisdom is starting to come back into now our, our business. Yeah. And we do need to just step away from the digital dashboards and the algorithms to recognize that this ancient wisdom is really powerful. Definitely. Um, and so kind of in the similar vein, I'm wondering what uh, recommendations you have for tracking your emotions. How do you go about that? What kind of systems? Yeah, well, there's, there's always an app for that. So having said about staying with yeah. the digital, there's loads of different apps that you can use. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I mean, I, I use a period tracker on my phone. Do you use Clue? No, do you know, I can't, it's, it's a little daisy. It's a flower one. It was one of the original ones from years ago. Okay. But there's so many out there and it's just finding one that yeah. works. If you okay. want to get off your phones, and that, that is the danger about doing everything app-based is that you know, you sit there on your phones for too much. It's like, it's just a good old fashioned journal, notebook 
book. Yeah. And just getting into a bit of a discipline of whether you write that beginning of the day or the end of the day, it's finding something that's going to fit with you really well. Mm -hmm. And then it might be that just before you go to sleep, just grab your notebook out your bedside table and just write, how did I feel today? You might just want to put, you know, might even want to do it emoji styles or mark yourself out of 10. (laughs) Keep it really simple. And if it's simple and easy to do, you'll do it every day. Yeah, because that decreases resistance, right? No, I highly recommend journaling. I do it daily and you understand so much more about yourself on a daily basis. Brilliant. Uh, And also just to capture all all of the memories because life goes by so quickly. And then you're like, what did I do yesterday? What did I do yes. last week? And it's just it's just another way of keeping track of just the little crazy ideas and memories. And yeah, and to make yourself more productive and kind of reflect on how you can do better each day. And so, I mean, kind of switching gears slightly back more to the business element. What recommendations do you have if someone wants to start? Because I know you do a lot of coaching and you do a lot of speaking. If someone wants to start out either speaking or coaching, where do you recommend that they start and how can they get their first gigs? Uh Usually through friends of friends. Mm -hmm. It just boils down to it's not what you know, it's who you know. So when you're starting out, it's really easy to make it bigger than it needs to be. If you make it as simple as possible and you look around, you know, you're close friends, family, work colleagues, and just ask who could help me do this? Who could help me? Mm -hmm. It's really easy to get, you know, caught up with different strategies and, and again, searching the internet. But there could be a friend of yours that knows somebody who's running an event and would love to give you a platform to test your talk out. Yeah. Got to just get them some trials out and and start working with people. So Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, just look at your close friends and family, you know, get your phone out and just scroll down the contacts. And it's amazing, you know, the wealth of people that we've got right next to us, Um, you know, one or two degrees connected to us. And then it's like, hey, who do you know who can help me do this? I'm looking to do this. Yeah and go from there you've just got to be brave enough to you know pick up the phone speak to people and ask for help exactly and it's also just about putting yourself out there and putting your ideas and your visions out there Mm. because if you don't tell anyone what you want to do and if you don't tell anyone where you're aiming to go then no one can help you because they don't know and it's also you know people and then those people know people Mm. and then those people know people so I think your network is a lot bigger than you realize and it's just a matter of figuring out okay what is the value that I can offer to people and then what are the value that they can offer to me so you're creating a mutually beneficial relationship based on value exchange yeah and I remember when I started speaking I decided that was going to be one of my strategies very early on and I remember getting a whiteboard up in my office and writing it was three uh, it was over the next oh that was it's over six months and I set myself a target of getting five speaking gigs every month for the next six months so I wrote up a table really? and I went one month one two three four five six one two three four five and left the gap yeah and that was a lot for me because I was only working three days a week because I had my youngest still at nursery so that was three days a week school hours and I mm-hmm. maybe do some evening stuff and I set myself so very very visually I went right I've got six times five slots to fill and then I just went yeah. out and spoke to people I mean honestly I mean I, I would have turned up to an opening of an envelope to use a classic PR joke you know I, I ended up speaking yeah. in some really grim places and it taught me mm. where I didn't want to talk <laughs> where I did yeah but when I had that empty whiteboard to all those slots to be filled and I just went I don't care where I speak I just need to get experience I need to understand what talks and it allowed me to try out different talks and I did 10 minute things I did one hour things and at the end of it I mean I filled it all up I I absolutely that's what I did for six months bam 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 that's what got me going that was the thing that got me to build my email list got me known in the area as well and I got that direct in-person and in real life connection with people that were going to work with me. Yeah. And then from there, I went a little bit more, uh, you know, obviously a bit more qualified and then was clear about, okay, so I only want to speak at events like this with this audience and for that area. And then I was yeah. more discerning and then the numbers dropped and it was more about the quality. But to begin with, I was like, there yeah. you go, fill that grid. Exactly. No, you, you need to try lots and get the experience mm. out there. I think that's the best way to hone any skill and anything that you're working on is to just try as much of it as possible. So I think it's amazing that you decided in advance, okay, this is how much I'm going to do. Because once you pre-decided that, it's very hard to reel oh, the way yes. out of that. So you're like, well, I'm going to do it no matter what. So it's going to happen. <laughs> and and then, then you can kind of know your value as well, in a sense. And I'm wondering, when speaking and coaching, in the beginning, would you recommend taking gigs for free? And then like, when would you recommend amping up or knowing how much you're worth 
and knowing what to charge? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, I, in my book, True Profit Business, I talk about the true profit growth flow. And there are four stages. There's mm-hmm. the evidence, and then you go into establish, then expand, and then evolve. Now, a lot of people mm-hmm. want to go straight into establish and expand, which is starting to put in the more, oh, I want to get it all right. I want to get a program But actually, you need that evidence stage. And part of that is doing what I call, I would probably call the more portfolio clients. So yeah, Mm -hmm. sometimes do it away for free. And where you actually are Mm -hmm. just literally testing it out and you want some guinea pigs. I think if you're doing coaching, I would actually recommend an exchange of money because there is something, even if it's only just like 20 or 40 pounds, but when there is an exchange of money, I appreciate if you're training. So when I did my coaching, I couldn't charge because I wasn't... It was part of the thing. I had had to do it for free to be able to pass my coaching diploma. Yeah. But as I went out, I went out there and went, no, people need to pay me because it's that exchange of money. They were more likely to show up to the sessions and more likely to do the work in between as well. So portfolio yeah. clients, guinea pig clients, whatever you want to call them, but you position it in a way to say, hey, I am just starting out. I would really like you to be my portfolio client. I can offer you this at this price. And it usually is at this but because it, you're my portfolio and I'm, mm. and I'm testing this out, I'm able to offer it for you for this. But in exchange, I would like a testimonial, a case study to interview you afterwards about the process and what return you got from it. So if you are going okay. to do it for free, which is absolutely you know, a great way of starting to build it up, you do it in exchange for getting some reviews yeah. even if it's just a mm-hmm. i want you to write a review with me on my linkedin profile or yeah. you know have a full, proper case study because from there you can then get into the next stage of going into the established stage where you can then start establishing your credibility and putting some substance behind what you do and that's when your prices can start sure. to go up but yeah, so yeah. That, that's how i would do it and that's exactly how i would recommend it to any of my clients when they're starting out is like think of it in portfolio ter- terms and how you okay. can then present it as a as a working case study afterwards yeah that's that's a really good way of putting it because then there's a very very clear value exchange on both yeah. ends Yes, I just forgot oh, my. Like, I just forgot my question. Okay. I was oh, like, I had a great questions. question, and it fell out of my brain. Yeah, no, it's that's completely okay. gone. Um, so I, I just want to ask you very quickly about your book and your book writing process. So, how did you get your idea? What inspired you to write it? And then, what was the sort of daily process of going about churning it out and turning it into a finished product? Oh, and there were some moments where I had to churn it out. God, it's not an easy process. Well, I mean, this was my second book. So the first book I wrote back in 2012, that was self-published. And that was, I look back on it now, it was actually quite easy because I just put a whole lot of blog posts together because back then I used to blog literally every day. That was the thing back in 2010, Lady and Gents. Uh, It was blogging Mm -hmm. every day. 52 weeks of the year, that was, yeah. that was the strategy. So I, but that actually meant I could put a book together very quickly, which I did in about five or six weeks and I self-published it and it, it did very well. Wow. Whereas this book, this had a publishing contract, which helped having me kept to a deadline because I almost got, they almost pulled me out and said, you're not, I'm not publishing you this year. You have to wait till next year if you don't get it to me in two weeks. <laughs> so yeah. Okay, that's a, that's a oh serious kick up the bum yes, there. I, that, was, that was two weeks. That was really, really stressful last two weeks of getting the final manuscript done. But it was, I always knew I wanted to write a second book. Writing for me is a, is a passion. I just really enjoy crafting words into stories, into things. So writing a book has always wanted that to happen. So when I yeah. actually decided to write the second book, it took me a while to really decide that, that now was the time because I wanted it. I started making it quite a big thing and I didn't want it to be the, the life's work, but I also knew I needed to get on and do it. So it came really when I was starting to change what I was looking at in my business. So True Profit Business started as a series of webinars, what I was training, and it was the feedback I was getting from people going, I've got something here. People really want to know about the business model and how to make it profitable and work for you without killing yourself in the process. So the, yeah. I went ahead and did a book proposal challenge um, with my publisher, which is where I got my publishing contract from, a, a lady called Alison Jones. And she runs this um, book proposal challenge, probably I think it's about two or three times a year. And that was a two-week okay. intensive putting together a pitch for the book. And I actually, that's what gave me the framework because to do a book proposal where you're pitching it to publishers before you even start writing any content – 
it is your proposal. It is, this is what the book is for. This is the audience. This is the structure. And that for me was what gave me the really solid, I've got something here. And from there, the writing, I wouldn't say it was easy. There was some really messy. I mean, it took three years from start to finish, which was longer than I anticipated. But that's because I evolved as well. So it became more of a, you know, I started bringing more of the inside out approach, more of the beingness, which wasn't there at the beginning. And it was a real case of just having to sometimes just completely leave it alone for three or four months and going, I can't deal with it. (laughs) And then making a lot of mess. I spoke it quite a bit. So as you can gather, I love talking. Um, So, you know, I do a lot of, I record a lot of uh, speaking sessions, recorded my webinars, got those transcribed and made a mess and and piled a whole lot of documents. And and then it all kind of like started to fall in together. And then it was when the crunch was starting to come in and going, look, you know, you've told us that you're going to have the manuscript ready by February. It's now March. Where is it? And I had to get really serious about that last. So the last last two or three months, I, oh, that was hard. That was really hard. But it was worth it. I yeah. mean, it is far worse than giving birth to an actual baby. Um, and I can have, I have had two children. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, it, a, that's why I look at people. I know people when they've written what I call a proper book, you know, yeah. the work and the effort that goes into it. Because I wasn't doing it for the money. I don't make, there was no advance on this. This is a business book. Yeah. It's a credibility and it was getting something out of me that had to be in a taught form. So I needed to, what what I was experiencing, what I was teaching my clients, it needed to come out in a way that other people got it as well. So putting it into a book gave everyone a structure and process and people reading it go, oh, I get what you're seeing, Karen. And then suddenly there's a step-by-step approach to becoming a a more connected path to profit. So it's, um, yeah, the creative process is is a struggle but the struggle is good. You know, the struggle is what yeah. allows you to dig really deep and write really good stuff and all the research that goes into it. Um, and I and I grew to love the struggle in a nice way. You know, it's um, as long as you don't get stuck into it for too long and, and drown in it, you can play yeah. with it and just leave it alone. And yeah, and, and then but at some point you've got to get it done. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And the book kind of becomes your baby, oh doesn't it? Like that that is your baby. Yes. And I think that's actually really great advice. If someone is struggling writing and struggling getting out words on a keyboard or on a piece of paper, because I mean, I'm a talker as well. You know, I could talk for days about something, but stare at a blank page for hours and not get anything out. So I think that's a great idea to just even just yeah. talk. Even just like get out your phone, get out your voice memory cord and just talk about the content and the message that you want to get across, which gives you a great starting point to Mm. then go about drafting and refining it and reordering and things like that. So that's a great tip. And it's like coming on podcasts like this, you know, you're asking some really great questions here that I'd never thought of asking myself. You know, it's it's and this is what I love about coming onto podcasts because it helps draw out my content. So even if you're uh, maybe not ready to get yourself being interviewed on a podcast, Get a friend to ask some interested questions and record it all. And then you've got something like Rev.com, which is the cheapest and easiest way to get things transcribed. And before you know it, you could have 20, 30 words, you know, okay, it might not be in a book form, but at least you've got something to edit and pull out and 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 have start start to see some chapters forming um so if you're a talker like us two are you know get your phone out start talking to it get friends to interview you ask you questions run webinars you know it's um that's how most of my material came to form definitely yeah and if i'm not mistaken there's even one called temi.com if you're really on a budget which is where they do ai so it's really really cheap Uh, transcription it's not human transcription but if you want something to work with i think that's another possibility if you're really on a shoestring budget yeah and that's a that's a lot of great advice there and especially i think a book is a great thing to write if you really want to build your credibility it's definitely a worthwhile strategy and um i do remember my original question regarding portfolio clients where would you recommend going about finding them again through your network yeah it's it's, it's through who you know you you could spend a lot of time creating a social media content strategy and posting Mm -hmm. it on whatever platform you've decided to be on yeah but at the end of the day you're just creating noise if you've got no substance and no credibility yet because you are new in the marketplace, people will just ignore you, you know, in the yeah. best of the world. So you just, and it's not about just shouting louder and, oh, I'm going to do Facebook Lives. That will get me noticed. Yeah. If you haven't got the credibility behind you and the substance and experience yet, it's about going back to who do you know. So sure. again, get your phone out, 
and ask your neighbors, go back to old work colleagues. You know, yeah. when we start to realize who we've got in our network, you just got to go back and get people who know you. Yeah, and because they're the ones who trust you and can recommend you. Exactly. And you only need three or four to begin with. I mean, this is not something that you do for the first six months and you do 12 or a couple of dozen. Yeah, you really only need to have three or four good portfolio clients. If you do good work with them, and then you get the testimonials and case study, that's when you then start to take it out to market because you've got proof, you've got evidence yeah. to say, this is who I am. And it's not just saying how good you are, you've got proof. So yeah, I would have thought most people would have enough of a network to be able to find three or four portfolio clients over a six to 12 week period. Okay. Would you recommend coaching your client for kind of that length of time? Uh, it, dep- it depends on the field that you're in, but mm-hmm. you would want to be able to do it long enough that they're actually seeing some results yeah so yeah there might be that you just do one or two sessions if you're going into something really specific like a tactic or a quick fix or yeah i don't know maybe maybe you're coaching around fitness and well-being and you're just looking at one specific um health problem that you're Mm -hmm. working on yeah but if it's um but you wouldn't want i wouldn't recommend it more than six to eight weeks because then you're going to be stuck with a client for a very long time that's not paying you anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you do want to balance it out. So I think my experience is like if you could if you could put together like a six to eight week bundle, then you've got enough time for the client to go away and do the work in between and yeah. see results because you want to have somebody who takes action with sure. what you're doing yeah. rather than just going, oh, Karen was a lovely coach. I really enjoyed her sessions. You know, yeah, that's kind of... not helpful. That, that's not helpful at yeah. all. You want to know, well, Karen was really great because we dug into this. And as a result from that, I got this with my business. You know, that's the stuff that you want. That's great. And the testimonials is what gives you real credibility as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that kind of hones in the importance of vetting your clients as well. Is it mm. like, are they actually the kind of person who is going to take action on what I'm going to tell them? Or oh, I'm, am I just going to talk to a brick wall? And is it all going to be a waste of time? Yeah. So I think that's quite interesting as well. Yeah. And that's why I think the exchange of money is important because otherwise you just get people, oh yeah, if it's free, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, there's no so accountability. It, there's no accountability. That's what I mean. It's like, you know, as long as it's, it's just a token you know maybe 50 quid 100 pounds for the six to eight week program there's a really important energy exchange of money there for sure yeah no it's very true so i think we're coming up on time here so i think the final question that i'd like to ask you is what are the three key truth bombs about the entrepreneurial journey that you would drop on a young entrepreneur today Oh my God, only three. Yeah, uh, you can throw right. in a fourth if you want, no. <laughs> if you're feeling adventurous. <laughs> Truth bombs to a 20-something starting off the entrepreneurial journey. No one cares about you. There's one truth bomb. <laughs> True. You know, at the end of the day, no one cares about you. They care about the results that you're going to get them. Mm-hmm. So let's not make it about us. Make it about the clients, the people that you want to work with, the people that you want to serve. It's not, it's nothing about you and no one cares about you. Yeah. Okay. So there's one truth bomb. Motivation is a crock of shit. <laughs> I agree. That's another truth bomb. We get this, you know, this whole thing on Instagram or wherever you get your motivation from, of, you know, mojo and motivation. It's just like a cup yeah. of coffee it wears off and if you keep going looking for hits of motivation i.e go to a workshop and seminar go to retreat or in a high energy environment and you come back again back into the real world and you wonder where it's gone it's because it's short-lived yeah so by all means as you know we all love a good energy drive environment event to give us a boost Mm-hmm. But let's be realistic because that motivation is not the thing to see us through. It's actually knuckling down and a bit of hard drive and determination and knowing that we have a lot of shit days to go along with the good days. Definitely. And most days, to be honest, end up being six or seven out of ten. Most days are a bit meh and that's okay. So, yeah, yeah motivation, load of rubbish. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, smartphones can kill you. That's best. <laughs> <laughs> smartphones are not so smart if we're going to do it as a yeah our smartphones are silently sapping our humanness out of us yeah and as amazing gadgets that they are and you know i'm like most people you know i spend most of my business you know a lot of my business is done on my phone or my macbook air yeah technology is our friend but it is not our life and if we if we spend everything in front of our smartphones and everything is digital and we focus on only thinking that digital is what makes a good business 
we're in danger of losing our connection with human beingness. And actually yeah. it's our connection with other humans is what allows us to thrive. Definitely. So yeah, smartphones aren't smart. Okay. I love it. I think it's, it's a very important when you're talking to, you know, Gen Z people that they know that because I see a mm. lot of Gen Z people and it's it's like an extension of their limb. It's like yeah. the phone is super glued to their hand. It's it's just an extra hand of a hand. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's a really, really good message. Yeah, I check your screen time. I mean, I, I see it with my kids and I'm, I'm shocked as well how much time I spend on my phone and I think I don't spend much time on it at all. Yeah. But it's like when the immediate reaction is to check notifications and then you look to see if anybody's liked your post on Instagram and is that an indication of your success or not yeah all you're doing is you're fueling your addiction to ego-driven success templates yeah if you get distracted you'll get pulled into short-term tactics mm -hmm. where actually if you shut down even for a day or two and you realize the impact that you can make on your business you'll play bigger you'll play far bigger dreams and bigger visions and make bigger impact without getting sucked into all the, the likes and the, everything like that. It's an amazing place to be. Don't get me wrong, a huge benefit driven and incredibly able to connect other human beings as well. Yeah. But it's there's a huge dark side to it as well. Definitely. Um, and we've got to be really honest about how much time and energy we're spending on those bloody things. Yeah, that's really worth bearing in mind. And so finally... Where can people find you? And is there anything in particular that you'd like to plug? Oh, well, plug A lot book. of things to plug. Yeah, plug away. <laughs> plug my book. No, thank you. No, I'm, I'm hopefully very easy to find on the internet. So if you Google Karen Skidmore, I should pop up on all sorts of different links. Yeah. My main website is karenskidmore.com. Instagram and Facebook are the two sites I tend to hang out on the most. But the thing I'd love to plug is my book, okay. True Profit Business, How to Play Your Bigger Game Without Burning Out. Yeah. You can get it on Kindle. It's available on Amazon. Hive bookstores, Waterstones. Amazing. Uh, wherever you can buy a book, you can get a copy. Yeah. And I would love people. If you want to find out about the story about the book, you can come over to my website at karenskidmore.com forward slash book. Mm -hmm. And you can see a bit more about, you know, the reasons why I wrote the book. And um, there's quite a few podcast interviews in there. I shall add this link to the page as well. Wonderful. Hear other things about I said about it. Yeah. And if you buy it and read it, please review it on Amazon. Having said already in this interview that we need to stay away from the metrics and the algorithms yeah reviews really matter they um, really do because they help the book gets found by other people so if you do read it and you do like it please please five star reviews on amazon oh my goodness me it would just that would be my ultimate ask um if i can that would be fantastic thank yeah, you if you get the book please just take one minute make karen's day, oh, I, love day. It's, I love it yeah. my ego will love it as well because i go yay someone loves me exactly actually, it's about the metrics it's about getting it found as well yeah no <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put all of the links in the description and i'll definitely pick up the book myself and i'll definitely leave a, a review for you and oh, um, thank you yeah thank you so much for coming on and that's a wrap for today's episode of the Young Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. And thank you so much, Karen, for taking the time to have a chat with us. We can tell from your wisdom and your experience, you have a lot of useful information for young entrepreneurs out there. And I really, really appreciate that. So please just get Karen's book. I'm reading it right now. I think it's awesome. And just leave a review because that would really make her day. And if you got anything out of this episode at all, I would highly encourage you to, as Karen was speaking about, the metrics matter. So to help more people see this podcast, to get into touch with this podcast, to leave a rating, a five-star rating and a review on iTunes would really help bump this up the ranking and get the podcast out there to more young ears who can learn and benefit from this information. In addition to that, just word of mouth is everything. Tell your friends, put it on your social media. If you put it in your Instagram story, I will repost you at YasminaRTE. You can even screen record a cool part of the podcast with a key takeaway so other people can learn that too. Or just bullet point it in a Facebook post, Twitter, whatever. I love it. And if you have any ideas of who you'd like to see on the podcast or you'd like to be on it yourself or there are some particular topics that you'd like to be covered on this podcast, just send me a DM at YasminaRTE on Instagram. Let's start the conversation there. And in the meantime, I hope you have an epic day. I'll see you in the next episode.